the other. Uh, Father, it's been really good already uh, to be together, um, to lift our voices in song and confess that all our hope is in you. Um, And Father, um, it says in your word, it says in in the Psalms, that the entrance of your word brings light. And so we want to pray in that spirit, Lord. We want to pray that your, your word would enter not only our ears, but our hearts, and would bring illumination, would bring light, so that we can see clearly who you are, and then in your light, see everything else more clearly as well. And so we want to pray Would you come by your spirit um, and let your word bring light to our hearts and to our lives. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, If you've been been reading through the book of Isaiah for yourself, and I know uh, lots of you have, um, you will know that there are uh, lots of difficult passages in Isaiah, difficult in different ways. Um, There are lots of passages that speak of coming destruction and desolation, um, where it seems like things are bad, and Isaiah the prophet is saying they're going to get much worse. Uh, And and there there are quite a lot of passages where he almost, he speaks of the land being laid waste, and it kind of reminds me almost of the kind of post-apocalyptic novels that my children seem to read. Um, they seem to be all the novels and movies there are now. They're all post-apocalyptic. A landscape that's been destroyed, reduced to rubble where nothing can grow. And it's that kind of scene that Isaiah often paints. And it can be kind of grim reading uh, as you read it. But there are also lots and lots of hints that this desolation is not the end of the story. That there's some kind of post-post-apocalyptic something. Uh, There's some kind of restoration that's going to come. There's a picture of hope and rebuilding and renewal and restoration. Um, And probably for me, Isaiah 35, which we're coming to this morning, um, is is one of my absolute favorite moments in the book of Isaiah because it comes after a lot of hard chapters where that kind of destruction and desolation is there. And it's like breaking into a clearing where the sun is shining and we get this glimpse of hope. Um, So we're going to take time this morning to read the whole of Isaiah 35. It's not a very long chapter. Uh, You can follow on the screen. Um, Let's hear this message of hope uh, for the people of Isaiah's time and also for us. And this is what it says, Isaiah 35, uh, reading from the beginning. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. 
He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy and water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Um, I want to encourage you, if you forget everything that I say this morning, take Isaiah 35, find a quiet place this week and just sit and read it and soak in it and it will do your heart good and it will give you hope. Um, the, the phrase uh, that we're going to focus on this week as this, the wilderness will rejoice and blossom. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Um, and in some ways, there's really just one big question I want to explore with you this week. I don't want to pick through this chapter verse by verse. I want to just give it to you and say, go, go and soak in it. Um, but there's one big question I want to ask that I think is really important. And it's this. When should we expect these things to happen? I want to talk this morning about our expectations. When should we expect these things to happen? Um, prophecies in the Bible, um, uh, people who've written about them and studied them often say they often have more than one horizon of fulfillment, which is a fancy way of saying they, they have more than one time uh, when they are fulfilled. So often they have a, a partial fulfillment in the time of the prophet or shortly afterwards. And then maybe a fuller fulfillment at a later time, often around the time of Jesus. And then sometimes an even fuller fulfillment later than that, often near the end of the world. Um, and so often prophecies in the Bible have these different horizons. They're fulfilled in more than one way at more than one time. And so if I ask, when, when does Isaiah 35 get fulfilled? Well, one answer would be when the people of God returned from exile in Babylon. So after the disaster with Assyria, which was happening at the time of Isaiah, there was a greater disaster with Babylon where the, the people, the land was completely destroyed and the people taken into exile. But after that worst desolation had happened, after that apocalyptic happening of being taken into exile in Babylon, the people were allowed to return to the land under Cyrus. 
And they were allowed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and they were allowed to rebuild the temple. And you can read about it in Nehemiah and Ezra. And you can see how Isaiah 35 kind of got fulfilled at that time. They were able to enter Zion with singing. Can you imagine the singing as they returned to the city that was being rebuilt? And yet, there was always a feeling after they returned of something not yet complete. They were looking at their present experience and saying, we can kind of see the beginning of Isaiah 35 being fulfilled here. And yet, the fullness of the joy and the blossoming and the flourishing that Isaiah seemed to promise didn't yet seem to be realized. And so the people held on to Isaiah 35 and many other beautiful prophecies in the Old Testament and said, we're, we're still waiting to see the fullness of this coming to fruition. I want to suggest this morning, and it'll not come as a surprise, that Isaiah 35 finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, why am I saying that? It, it doesn't actually mention in Isaiah 35 um, the Messiah or the King, as other, as other passages in Isaiah do. Why do I think Isaiah 35 is especially fulfilled in Jesus? Well, look again at what it says in verses 5 to 6. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And I want to ask you, does that remind you of anything? Does it remind you of anyone whenever you read that? Um, there's a, a story I love whenever um, John the Baptist was in prison. You can read it in Matthew 11 or Luke 7. Um, and it was a very low moment in John the Baptist's life and he was starting to doubt he had gone around pointing to Jesus and saying, this is the one. And he was starting to doubt it because everything was going wrong. And it was a very low moment for John the Baptist. And he sent messengers to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? What a question <laughs> for John the Baptist to ask. Are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? And I wonder, do you remember the, the message that Jesus sent back? He said, go, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. wonder do you hear it. Jesus is saying, the things the prophets dreamed of, like Isaiah and Isaiah 35, they are all coming true all around us right now. You can hear them happening, you can see them happening here and now, in the person of Jesus, these things come to fruition as never before. You expected me to say that. Jesus is the answer, right? Um, but let me ask you the question again then, in light of that. When should we... I've lost power in my clicker. When should we expect these things to happen? Um, well, there we go. When should you and I expect these things to happen? As followers of Jesus who believe that he is the one who was to come, that he is the expected king, that he is the Messiah, when should we expect to see these things? There's a very important sense in which what we expect 
shapes how we live now. Um, if you want a really big word, you don't have to remember this big word, but theologians talk about eschatology. And eschatology has to do with our expectations of the future. And what we expect shapes the way we live now. And I want to I talk for a moment about two ways in which our expectations can go wrong, two directions in which our expectations can go wrong. Uh, and the first one is this, is that we can expect, if you'd move on the slide, Andrew, we can expect everything to happen now. <coughs> so if you want the big word, theologians call this an over-realized eschatology. We expect all of it to happen right now. Um, so we might say, well, Jesus the Messiah has come and all these promises are fulfilled in him and John Mark just said so. And so we should expect to see all these things happening immediately. Blossoming, flourishing, healing, victory, rejoicing. And we should not expect to see desert and parched land and wilderness as part of our present experience. And I want to ask you this morning, do you think that is true? Do followers of Jesus never experience desert and wilderness? Do, do faithful Christians always experience immediate victory in every part of their lives? Does that ring true for you? Um, I read an article last week um, about cliches that Christians use that they should stop using. Um, and they tend to be quite fun articles to, to read. But one of the cliches they suggested was, um, actually maybe one I don't know if I've ever heard anyone use exactly like this, but your breakthrough is just around the corner, right? Your breakthrough is just around the corner. And the, the trouble with that is, I don't know if your breakthrough is just around the corner. And whenever we promise immediate breakthrough and it doesn't happen, well, you and I both know that can lead to deep disillusionment and damage and over-realized eschatology, promising everything to happen immediately, expecting everything to happen immediately can lead to a lot of wreckage in people's lives and even shipwrecking of people's faith. It's true that Jesus has come and it's true that Jesus said his kingdom is now at hand, so it's now available but it's also true that his kingdom has not yet come in its fullness. And so you and I have to learn to live between the times. We have to learn to live in that tension. And we know, don't we, faithful Christians often experience long seasons of wilderness. And we share in the brokenness and sadness of the world. And we need to be honest about that. And we need to expect it. Our expectations matter. right? That's part of the journey. That's part of the story. So that's one danger. We think it's all going to happen immediately. And that can lead to real harm. But I also want to talk about the opposite danger. If we can move it on. Um, we may be tempted then by the other extreme. Where in a sense all our hopes are postponed to the future day when Jesus is going to come and get us out of here and come and make all things new and sorrow and sighing will flee away. But until that day, we keep our expectations very, very small. 
We expect desert and wilderness to be the norm. And our kind of view of life is life is hard, life is struggle, life is a slow trudge through really dry and difficult terrain. And it's not hard maybe to see why we might choose that way of thinking. Um, maybe it's important to say this morning, especially if you've been disappointed before. Maybe you hoped and prayed and waited for a miracle and a breakthrough and it didn't happen. And it, so it feels much safer to defer all our hopes to the next world and keep our expectations for today small and modest and realistic. It's not, it's not hard to understand why we protect our hearts in that way. And yet I want to say this morning to myself and to you, um, I think it's understandable, but it's also really sad when we as God's people have really small expectations. Uh, why do I think it's sad? I, I want to give you just one simple reason. Um, it's for this reason. Um, because Jesus the King is here. Right? Jesus the King, the one who is to come, uh, the expected Messiah, um, Jesus the King is here. It's not just true that he came 2,000 years ago and the blind saw and the deaf heard and the lame leapt for joy. And it's not just true that he will come one day and wipe away every tear and make all things new. He is here right now among us. And if Jesus the King is here, then anything is possible. The wilderness can rejoice and blossom and streams of living water can flow in the desert places and the deaf can hear and the blind can see and the dead can be raised, right? If Jesus the King is here, then anything is possible. I've been reflecting on some of the phrases in this chapter and some of the others in Isaiah uh, in this light. It says in, the, in verse 2 of the chapter we read, they will see the glory of the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, when does that happen? <laughs> One day, you and I are going to see him and see his glory. But I wonder, do we believe this morning? Do you believe? Do you expect that you could see his glory right here, right now? In the ordinary circumstances of our daily lives, that we could see his glory? Or back a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 33, there's a lovely phrase where it says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty. It's not a beautiful phrase. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. And again, I want to ask you, when does that happen? One day we're going to see him face to face. But I wonder, do we expect that we could see him here and now? In this place, in this neighborhood, in our time, in our lives, that we could see the king in his beauty? working among us. Or let me give you one, one last example. Back in chapter 32, there's one of those passages of desolation and apocalyptic destruction and wasteland. But then do you know what it says? It says, until, which is a very powerful word, until the spirit is poured out on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field. So there's the same image we've been reading in Isaiah 35, of the, the, the desert coming to life. 
when does it happen? When the Spirit is poured out. And so let me ask you, are we still waiting for the Spirit to be poured out? Or was the Spirit poured out when the church was born at Pentecost? And has that same Spirit been poured out on us when we believed in Jesus? And is that same Spirit available to you tomorrow morning when you get up and go into your Monday morning? Um, I want to ask a really challenging question for all of us, which is this. Have your expectations become too small? And I, I've been challenged as I've reflected on Isaiah 35. If, if we expect to see little, we will only see a little. And our joy will remain small. But the flip side challenge is if we expect much from Jesus our King, if we expect to see him at work in all kinds of ways in our lives and our world, we will see all kinds of things happening, blossoms in the, the wilderness, streams in the desert. We will see his glory and his beauty here and now, and our joy and our gladness will be great. And so I've been challenged. Have my expectations all been deferred to the future? Have my expectations for today become very, very small? Um, maybe I want to encourage you to think about this and ask, where, where are the desert places in our lives right now? Um, I'd love you to take that question with you into the week um, and reflect on it. Where are the desert places, the dry places, the lifeless places, the hopeless places in our lives and our world right now? Uh, and it might be a few of the things that came to my mind. It might be deeply ingrained habits of character uh, where we've stopped expecting change, where we kind of say, I kind of am the way I am and I'm in the middle, maybe I'm middle-aged or older and I don't expect those things to change. That's just who I am. And we're resigned to those habits of character uh, that we know are not right. Um, or maybe the desert places are people we care about, people we really love, whose, whose lives are broken and stuck and lost. So many, so many ways that a human life can, get, uh, can lose its way. There's people we care about and maybe they're in a, a desert place or a wilderness place. Maybe the desert place is damaged relationships. Uh, relationships can get damaged and, and broken in so many ways. Maybe we've lost hope that there's going to be restoration or reconciliation or renewal of the love that was there before. Or maybe the desert places are areas of brokenness and darkness in our culture uh, that make us shake our head or make us afraid or make us um, troubled. Um, and I guess the I'd love you to reflect on that question this week. Where are those areas of desert in your life, in the lives of people you love, in our culture, in our world? Um, and I guess the question that I, I, I want us to be reflecting on is, what does it mean to be people of Isaiah 35 hope in those places? What does it mean to hold on to these promises in those places? And the kind of image that came to my mind uh, I couldn't find a photo. 
uh, to reflect this, but was kind of an image of someone in the middle of a landscape like that with a little child's watering can. <laughs> I wonder, do you ever feel like that? You, you go to a difficult place in your life and you're, you're planting seeds of hope or seeds of love and you're watering them with your prayers and your tears and it feels kind of a bit foolish because you're in a desert and all you've got is your, your little toy watering can. Did it ever feel like that to you? Yet I want to encourage us, if Jesus the King is here, then anything is possible. And you and I are to be people of prophetic hope. We're not, we're not to be people who despair or lose heart or just mumble and grumble about what's wrong with our world. But we're to go to the dry places with our little watering can and our seeds of gospel hope and our seeds of gospel love. And we are to be people who embody prophetic hope and say, I believe that here in the wilderness, something can blossom. Um, let, me, let me finish with a couple of examples. Um, Brian Evans uh, was sharing with some of us last week um, during the years when Albania uh, was under communism, um, someone in his church in Wales uh, had a heart for that country uh, and stirred others in their little church in Wales up to pray. So they're, they're in Wales and their church, they're praying for this country most of them had never been to and maybe couldn't find on a map. But they prayed for Albania and officially at that time, officially there were 0.0% Christians in Albania at that time. That was the official story. But they prayed and they hoped and they watered. <laughs> and last week, uh, some of us were upstairs in the upper room when a young man called Yuli was sharing with us about his church in the city of Lore in Albania. Um, it's one story of many all across that country. His church has grown in the last couple of decades out of apparently nothing. Um, and it's doubled in size during the COVID years as they met outdoors in a forest. And it's full of young people. Uh, the average age of their congregation is under 30. Where did that come from? Came out of the desert. There were people in Wales who didn't think it was foolish to pray that something would blossom in the desert. And they prayed and they prayed. Um, just before Christmas, Someone in church sent me a message um, and there'd been a relationship in their family which had been broken for years and they'd kind of lost heart and lost hope that it was ever going to change. But we'd been talking in church about persevering in prayer and not giving up and so they decided to give it one more go and they phoned their sister and asked her to pray as well and shared with her uh, the, the things we'd been thinking about. And out of the blue came a phone call from that family member who'd been estranged with an invitation for Christmas. And I was reminded of that lovely phrase someone has used where they said, God has two speeds, which are slowly and suddenly. That sometimes you pray and you pray and you hope and you cry and you say, how long, O oh Lord? And it takes a long time. And sometimes the thing you long for can suddenly appear, like a flower in the desert. Um, I want to encourage us, um, as, we go, as we go into our week, 
Um, where are the desert places in your life, in your world? Let's be people of prophetic hope. Let's go to those places and plant seeds and water them and then watch and wait for the king because Jesus the king is here. Um, so anything is possible. Um, let's pray and then we're going to sing a song uh, just to respond uh, to what we've been, been thinking about. Let's pray. Um, Father, I want to pray very simply um, that these powerful prophetic words from Isaiah the prophet would go really, really deeply into our hearts. Father, I want to pray, would you convince us by your spirit, because only your spirit can do it, that there is no desert so dry, so lifeless, so hopeless that you cannot bring it back to life. Father, would you help us to believe that? That because Jesus the King is here, anything is possible. And Father, I want to pray, especially for those in the room today, for those in the building, for those watching at home who have been waiting for a long time and have lost heart and have lost hope Father, I want to pray, would you rekindle hope this morning? Father, help us to be people who watch and wait to see what our King will do. Father, help us to be people who expect much from you, even when the waiting is long. And Father, I want to pray, even in the week that's ahead, would we see some signs of flowers coming up where before was only dry sand? Would we see some little green shoots coming up where before it was just cracked earth? Um, Father, we pray, would your Holy Spirit come and make us people of hope and then help us to go and carry that hope to our neighbours who are hurting and hopeless. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.